0: I have a theory I work off of, and it, it says that we're all dysfunctional. We're all at least a little bit dysfunctional, wouldn't you agree? Some more than others. I guess you could say, uh, I'm not okay, and you're not okay, but that's okay. We all have our issues, our issues that uh, weigh us down and hold us back and, and From my experience, I've come to the conviction that a lot of our issues are from our past that hang over us like a a bag of rocks and weigh us down and keep us from making the progress that we'd like to make in our lives. Thankfully, one of the reasons that Jesus Christ came to this earth was to set people free and release people and redeem our past. Redeem our past so that we could be propelled forward into the future in our relationship with God. Amen? I love that about Jesus. Well, today um, we're going to look into the book of Philippians once again, and my hope and prayer is that we're going to find some help. We're going to ask God to, to shed some light on this process so that we in this room can experience the joy and the freedom of making forward progress with God. So if you have your Bible with you today, uh, take it and turn to Philippians chapter 3, and you can take the study guide out of your worship folder there and follow along with us. I'm going to start reading in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 12. And Paul begins this way. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, But I press on, would you underline that phrase? I press on, he says, to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Verse 13, brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind. Would you circle that phrase? We're going to come back to it. Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on. There it is again. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Verse 15. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. If on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Well, as I've been prone to do lately, I want to give you the whole sermon today in a single sentence albeit kind of a compound complex run-on sentence okay here it is life is the ultimate amazing race and running it well doesn't mean being perfect thank god it means making steady forward progress towards winning the ultimate prize let me say that again life is the ultimate amazing race and running it well doesn't mean being perfect It means making steady forward progress towards winning the ultimate prize. Which begs the question, what is the ultimate prize that we're going for? What waits for us on the other side of the finish line? And we could talk about the fact that the Bible says that eye has not seen, ear has not heard, and no mind has conceived what God has planned for those who love him. We could talk about eternal life and heaven and streets of gold and mansions and eternal glory and forgiveness and Jesus wiping away every tear and all of that. But for me, when I think of the ultimate prize and what I'm going for, it's two words spoken from the lips of the son of God. Well done. I want to stand before Jesus someday and have him look me in the eye and say, Steve, good job. (laughs) Well done. Way to go. To me, that's the ultimate prize. That's the ultimate prize. In this passage, we find a man who is running the race well, the Apostle Paul. He was running it well. He said, I'm not perfect, but I'm pressing on. I'm running it well. And we get a glimpse into his heart and his mind and and what it takes to run the, the race well in this life. And I see four things. And the first is a holy discontentment a holy discontentment. Notice verse 12. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect. I'm not perfect, he said. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. It's true, isn't it? People who are making forward progress in their lives have something burning on the inside of them, a holy discontentment with the way things are, something that's driving them forward. I mean, you did not hear Bill Cowher last weekend after the Steelers Super Bowl victory say uh, something like, well, you know, this organization already had four Super Bowls. I think that was plenty. That's not what he said. He said, we're going for a fifth. (laughs) I want to hand that trophy to the, the owner of this organization. There's something burning on the inside of us. There's a discontentment with what we've achieved so far. We want to go all the way. Now, I'm not talking about a, a, a neurotic, obsessive kind of perfectionism. You know that We all know there's an unhealthy side to this discontentment thing. But I believe there's also a healthy, holy discontentment and that Paul had it. He said, I, I've not arrived. I'm not perfect. But I'll tell you what, I'm not content with where I'm at either. I'm pressing it forward. And the interesting thing to me is that, do you know how old he was when he wrote this? I mean, you read these phrases, you know, I'm pressing on toward the prize. And you think of a 20-something guy with lots of passion and, and vigor, right? The guy was in his 60s. When most people have their landing gear down. Here's a guy in his 60s saying, I want my my fourth quarter of my life to be my absolute best, most productive, most fruitful quarter, season of my life. I'm grateful for the people in our church who are in their 60s and up who are still pressing on for God. And we have those kinds of people. Amen. Setting the pace for the rest of us young people. I love that. Us young people. I keep pushing that bar up. You know, when is old? Well, it's older than me. <laughs> I had a conversation with my parents on the phone recently. They just celebrated their 46th anniversary. And uh, I called them up just to congratulate them on that. And, and you know, they're in their 70s. And uh, I was talking to them and, and they both got on the phone and this conversation went on. I, I got the sense that things were a little different somehow. And so we were talking more and more and and finally, they said, hey, have you heard of this book? And they mentioned the title of a certain book. I said, yeah, I've heard of it. I've read that. And they said, well, we're, we're reading this book together. And it's changing our marriage. I'm like, okay, you've been married 46 years. And they said, yeah, it's like this whole new dimension to our marriage and and we're seeing each other's, you know, needs in a whole different light and and it's just great. And I said, well, is it like 1959 all over again? And they said, no, it's better, so much better. And my dad says, I don't even, I don't think my heart can take it. And I said, stop, that's enough. I don't want to hear any (laughs) more. Thanks for sharing. And I thought, you know what? If you're in your seventies, and you can be discovering new things in your marriage that's drawing you closer together, there's hope for all of us. There's hope for all of us. If we'll let the Holy Spirit cultivate this holy discontentment in us that says, I'm not satisfied with where I'm at in my marriage or in my walk with Christ or in my ministry or in my vocation. I'm not content. There's more, and I'm going for it. Paul had that. Making progress often starts with a healthy, holy discontentment in here. But if that's where it ends, it'll just lead to frustration, right? Yeah, I want something more, but it'll never happen. In Paul, it led to a second thing that, that I would call focused determination. It's the second quality that, that he allowed the Spirit of God to cultivate in him. Focused determination. Verse 13, he says, but one thing I do. Sometimes I want to look at people and say, for crying out loud, get focused. You are all over the lot. You're spread so thin. Channel your energies. Sometimes I want to look at myself and say that. Steve, get focused, man. Paul didn't say, you know, I got this holy discontentment in me, and so I've decided to dabble in 40 different things. He said, there are a lot of pieces to my life, but I'm, I'm focusing on one. You know, in the Christian life, there's a lot of things, aren't there? I mean, you could say, hey, I want to make progress with God, and I know I need to, to read my Bible more, and I, I need to pray more, and I need to be in church and be in a small group, and I need to get involved in this 40 days of purpose thing my church is doing, and I need to serve in my ministry, and I need to fast, and and you know what? You can get spread out so far that you're not doing anything very well. One thing I do. Some of you needed to come to church this weekend. That's all you needed to get. Get focused. Channel your energies. When I was a kid, I, uh, I enjoyed doing something. I enjoyed taking a magnifying glass and burning leaves. Anybody else enjoy doing that? I'm sure it was probably some sort of obsessive-compulsive disorder or something, but I enjoyed it, watching that little point of light begin to smoke and then burst into flames. What's that all about? That's all about an implement that can take and harness the, the rays of the sun and focus it on one point. That's the power of focused energy. Paul said, one thing I'm focusing on, and I'm determined to go after it. Focused determination. You want to make progress? Focus. Focus. And when you've got both of these things going on inside of you, a holy discontentment and a focused determination, that's a potent combination. and often leads to number three, forward movement. Forward movement. Verse 13. But one thing I do forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead. It's the picture of a runner running a race and breaking the tape at the finish line, straining towards what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. I know this sounds like a duh, but you can't make progress if you're not moving forward. I can look you in the eye today and and say with with absolute certainty that God's plan for you is to be moving forward. Everything about how God made us tells us that he wants us to be moving forward. Think of how your eyes are placed on your head. On the back side? No. On the front side, so that you can be looking forward, right? Think about how your ears are placed on your cranium, pointed forward so you can hear God's call into your future, not hear people talking behind your back. Your arms are placed on your body and work best forward, not backward. Your feet are placed on your ankles, moving forward. In fact, there's only one part of your anatomy that God left on the backside. (laughs) It's as if even God is saying some things need to just be left behind, okay? Move forward. Paul tells us seven things about moving forward in this section. Moving forward, letter A, requires leaving the past behind. Moving forward requires straining to reach future goals. Moving forward requires keeping your eyes on the prize. What's at the end? Moving forward requires leaning into your purpose. That's why we're doing the whole 40 days of purpose thing. So all of us can embrace God's purposes for our lives. We'll know what they are. We'll discover them. Moving forward is the mindset of mature people, he says. You know, always pining away for the good old days. Is, is not a mark of maturity. Moving forward requires a teachable spirit. Moving forward involves not sliding backwards. He says, let's live up to what we've already attained. From my experience, I would say that a majority of people who are having a hard time moving forward, the reason for that is because they're shackled to their past. Something in their past is holding them back. And that's so important that we're going to cycle back to that in just a few moments and explore that a little bit more. Let's look quickly at uh, the fourth key to making spiritual progress, and that is choosing heavenly minded comrades. Heavenly minded comrades. Verse 17 Join with others, he says, in following my example, brothers. Join with others. Don't try to do this thing on your own, solo. Take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many people live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. They're talking about their appetites. They live to feed their appetites. Their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. But our citizenship is where? In heaven. Their mind is on earthly things. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious body. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. Now, we've addressed this one before in this series, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. But suffice it to say that if you want to run the race well, then find some good runners to run with. Find some good runners to run with. Run alongside people who will stretch you, challenge you, draw the best out of you. That's what world-class runners do. They find other runners who will push them and push them to reach their peak performance choose heavenly-minded comrades. So in this passage, Paul shares from his own experience four essentials for making progress on our spiritual journey. Holy discontentment, focused determination, forward movement, and heavenly-minded comrades, and all of them are necessary for making progress. This last couple weeks, as I've been thinking and praying through this passage, as I do, and I've been asking the Lord, God, what's the application for our church? What's the application from this section for New Life Church these days? And I kept coming back to this one phrase, forgetting that which is behind. Forgetting what is behind. It was as if God was saying, Steve, too many of my people... Are weighted down and bogged down, and they can't make forward progress because they're tethered to their past. There's that stuff, there's those issues from their past, and it weighs them down. And my plan for them is is freedom and, and release and moving forward into the future, but they can't because they haven't yet released their past forgetting what is behind. They haven't yet dropped their bag of rocks. And I got to thinking about that and praying about that. And it has several applications. First, I think that principle holds, tr- holds true for churches. Churches, I think, entire churches often, the need to just release and let go of their past so they can move into the future. Do you believe that? Really, I believe this is True. I think there's two challenges here. One I would call the good old days syndrome. You know what that is, right? Oh, if we could just have it again like it was back in the 50s. You know, the glory days. You know what? There's nothing sadder than a church trying to recapture its glory days by reverting to the things that they were doing back then. There's... There's even this funny verse in Ecclesiastes. It says this. Do not say, why were the old days better than these? Because because it's not wise to ask such questions. (laughs) Now I've got a nostalgic streak in me. I really do. And I found that sometimes it holds me back. It holds me back. The good old days. My former pastor used to say, you know what? there really never were any good old days. We tend to look at the past through rose-tinted glasses. These are the best days to be living in right now. The other side of that coin is the bad old days. Some churches can't move forward because they're anchored to the bad old days. I was at a church last weekend, and just it just broke my heart. You guys know I love the church. I love the body of Christ. I want to see all churches thrive. And I was at this church, and... Oh, this church has a history, and they have this place, you know, on the side of their lobby. It's kind of this display wall where they've got the whole history of the church and newsletter articles and newspaper articles and of their history. And and you know, they had oh, they had this stuff, and it's all plastered all over these walls. You know, these these train wrecks and these splits and all of this stuff. And I'm reading this, and my heart's just sinking. I'm going, oh Lord. <laughs> and I had this the strongest urge to to look around and find someone and say. Take it down. It's done. It's in the past. You know, Have a funeral, do an autopsy. Let it go. It's over and done. Yes, there was the train wreck of' 95, but you're killing people by reminding of them of them every week. Let it go. Maybe this church could go into the future. It could untether itself from the past. I think this principle is true of families. Sometimes it's hard to press on into the future when you're anchored to your past. And and some families I know, 05 was a tough year. It was a difficult year for your family. But you know what? This is 06. And by God's grace, maybe you could say, you know what? Yeah, we had a tough year last year, but but this is a new era. This is a new chapter for our family. And by God's grace, we're going to trust Him more for a better 06. And I think it's true of individuals. Some people just are making very little progress because they haven't released their past. They haven't let it go. And I want you to know there's great joy. There's great joy and freedom and release when you finally decide to drop that bag of rocks and let it go. And then you can move into the future. I want you to take your rock in your hand for a moment, would you? Don't throw it at me, please. Please. I wonder what your rock is. Maybe you named it earlier. I wonder what that thing is in your past that maybe like Ray in the skit, weighs you down, holds you back. You say, what kind of things would those be? Well, past hurts from parents, from siblings, from a spouse. Past wounds from being betrayed or abandoned by someone who was supposed to love you, and they abandon you, they let you down, they betrayed you, and you carry that around like a rock weighing you down. Maybe past offenses committed against you that you've never forgiven. Maybe past disappointments, from dashed hopes, broken dreams, unfulfilled expectations. you thought it was going to be so different. Maybe abuse done to you, physical abuse, sexual abuse, mental abuse, emotional abuse done to you. It was wrong. You were victimized by that. But it's part of your past and you haven't been able to let it go. It's a rock. Maybe past vows you've made to get revenge, to even the score. You know what these are? That's when in your heart, somewhere along the line, you said, you know what? I will never... Fill in the blank. I will never trust again. I will never allow myself to get that close to someone again. I'll never trust a man again. I'll never trust a woman again. Vows. Way back in our past. And they weigh us down. They hold us back. Maybe past judgments that you've rendered against another person. Idiot. By the way, who's the judge? Who's the only righteous judge? Only God has sufficient knowledge to accurately judge people. But we make judgments, don't we? We render judgments. We pass verdicts on people. And we carry that around. Past sins, past mess-ups, past mistakes that you've committed, that I've committed, those things hang on to us. They cling to us from our past, past failures and even past victories and successes. Say, how do I know if I've got rocks that are weighing me down? Bitterness, grudges, ulcers, retaliation, guilt, shame, hiding not able to be open and transparent with people because you're hiding, difficulty praying, cringing when that person gets credit or receives praise and you cringe and clench up on the inside, you know there's something there. I think God would say to us today, church, individual Christ followers, by my power, you can drop your rocks today. You can forget that which is behind and then watch me propel you into the future with a new energy, a new vibrancy. I heard a story this week from, uh, from Patty Trayson who's been leading us in worship today. And it's so exemplified what we're talking about today that I asked her to come and I asked her to share it with us because it's an awesome story of the freedom and release that comes from dropping your rocks. So Patty's going to come up.
1: You know, before I share my testimony, there's three things I want to leave with you that you remember if you don't think of anything else. First of all, I want you to know that God never wastes a hurt or a painful experience. In 2 Corinthians, it says that I can take my painful experience or my painful past and use it to comfort someone else who has gone through the same thing. That's why I'm going to share with you this morning. Also, life is a journey, life is a process, and healing is a process. Sometimes it happens quickly. And other times, it takes years and years. For me, it took 28 years. Number three, God created us to walk in the light of freedom and truth. So remember those three things as I tell you a little bit about my story. Um, I've been coming to New Life with my husband and three kids for about 13 years. Um, My rock is down here. And at 28 years worth of carrying that one rock, it became very, very heavy, and it had several names. A few of the names were guilt, anxiety, denial, shame, embarrassment, anger, pride, condemnation and fear. I thought this would get easier. I'm sorry. (laughs) It doesn't. 30 years ago, I made a choice to have an abortion. I was raised in a Christian home. I knew right from wrong, um, but I became friends with somebody that I trusted, that knew my beliefs, but they took advantage of a situation in my life. I put myself in a situation where I shouldn't have been, and I became pregnant. I didn't know what to do, so um, I aborted the baby. Afraid and angry and alone, I really believed, the enemy made me really believe the lie that that was the only choice I had was to abort the baby. And abortion is one of those secret, shameful sins that women and men carry. You believe that once it's over, it's over. Um, Society tells you it's okay. You move on. Get over it. You don't need to grieve about it. You made your bed, now you lie in it. So I believed all those things, and I thought I could move on. I um, went to Europe for a summer, thinking that if I ran far and fast, that I could leave that sin somewhere over in another country and not have to think about it. But I came back, and the lie was still there. The guilt, the shame, all those things that um, I, I believed. Um, I met my husband, Paul, many of you know him, in 1973. It was after I'd had the abortion. And I wanted to share that with Paul. But he he uh, said, you know what, I, I just want to know you for who you are. I don't need to know anything about your past. And so I thought, you know what, that's great. If he doesn't really care, then maybe God's going to take that away. And, and, and I don't have to remember it because he doesn't want to know it. So for 28 years, I carried that. In my life, thinking that it would go away. But I'm here to tell you that um, it's something that harbors itself so deep. The lie becomes so embedded in your soul that you become very good at suppressing it. Every time it would come up, about two, two times a year, I'd say, this sick feeling in my gut like, what are you doing? You deserve anything bad that happens to you. You don't deserve to have healthy children. All those lies that the enemy can feed us. And I kept hearing that and thinking, i got to push that down there because if anybody knows anything about me like that, they're going to disown me. I thought my husband would divorce me. I thought my kids would disown me. And honestly, three years ago, I believed that being on the worship team, if the team knew that they'd show me the way out the back door. I mean, I really believed that. So um, there's a scripture in in 1 John 1.15, and it talks about walking in the light. If we claim to have fellowship with Jesus, yet walk in darkness, we lie and we do not live by the truth. But if, and it's a choice... We walk in the light as He is in the light. We have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. You see, I knew God forgave me. I had confessed that sin long ago. I was faithful and just, and I knew God had forgiven me. But there's another scripture that God showed me in James that said, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Paul and I went away on a um, little honeymoon getaway three years ago and um, went to Logan, Ohio, one of those chalets with the hot tub and everything. And we were coming home, and I thought life was great. And all of a sudden, here came that sick lie rising up in me again. And I thought, you know, how can that be? We just had this great time together, and here it comes again. God, I cannot, I can't do it. And yet it was like a voice was saying, you've got to do it. You have got to speak it out to your husband now. So we're driving on the freeway, and on a barn, written in big, bright red letters, was the word abortion with a question mark. And right then, I knew that I needed to tell my husband. So I said, Paul, you know what? you may want to pull over, because I'm going to share something with you that I should have shared with you 30 years ago, and I didn't, but I don't want to carry it anymore. I want that lie to be out in the light. So I shared with Paul, and he was very loving, very accepting. He didn't divorce me. I mean, he didn't even think about that. I think he felt bad that I'd never, that I had carried that by myself. Um, I then met a friend, Michelle Wascom, who's here today. And that's where that scripture, confess your sins to one another, I confessed that to her. And, you know, she said, I'm going to take your hand, and I'm going to walk you through a healing program, the heart, healing the effects of abortion-related trauma. I'm going to walk with you through that program because I want to see you healed. God wants to see you healed. God wants to use you in a mighty, mighty way. And you're just stuck. You're stuck. So I did. I went through the heart program. And I want to say that I've since shared with other people about my experience, and I'm telling you, there's a lot of women, there's a lot of men who have experienced the same thing, and they're hiding behind the lie. So not only confess that to God and lay down that rock that just hinders you and holds you back, but share it with a fellow believer too, somebody that can take your hand and pray with you and walk with you through the healing process. I realized a couple years ago, I could never really raise my hands to praise the Lord, and I, I just felt so hindered by that. But you know what? Now that I have shared, now that my sin has been revealed by God's light, by God's truth, by God's love, when I stand up here and lead worship, I can, you know, it spotlights don't bother me anymore. They used to because I used to hide in the shadows, but I have nothing to hide anymore. Like Steve said, God is our judge not other people, you know. So I laid my rock down. Now my life is, I feel so much lighter. I feel so much freer. And I would encourage you to do the same thing. And thank you for letting me share my story and accepting me for who I am and who God has made me. Thank you. Awesome.
0: So even if you've been carrying something around for 28 years, by the power of God, you can let it go. Take your rock, would you? And hold it in your hands. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes as you think about what that thing is for you. Maybe in your mind it's not something, you know, of that magnitude, but you know that it's holding you back. I want to read you something to help you kind of ponder and and process this. I am not a victim. I am not a victim because Jesus is my victor. He paid for all my sins. He took all my shame. My past is past. I am leaving it behind. I will learn from my past, but it will shackle me no longer. By God's power and grace, I choose to let it go. It is nailed to Jesus' cross. And now I will move forward. I will press on to win the prize, to see his face one day. I hope to hear him say, well done.